Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers and industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. You can smell the fire coming, but it's not trees that are burning. It's a man, and he's smoldering from the inside out. If you enjoyed this episode on The Charman and want to hear more urban legends, follow the Haunted Places feed on Spotify, where you'll find exclusive episodes of Urban Legends every Tuesday. Due to the graphic nature of this urban legend, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of child abuse, ableism, and wildfires. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. You hadn't meant to leave Los Angeles so late. And then, of course, you hit miserable traffic on the 101. Luckily, your friends checked into Camp Comfort already, so all you had to do was speed north. But darkness is descending, and the road signs are more and more infrequent. It's just you and the lonely glow of your headlights on the winding road. Then you just barely miss your turn off. You hurtle across a two-lane bridge and pull a U-turn. But just as you're about to head in the opposite direction, you see a shape standing in the middle of the road. He looks like he's melting. His skin is shiny red in the glare of your headlights, as if his flesh was ripped away by flames. Yet you catch the slight glow of ember under his skin. As he walks towards you, cinders fall from his form. The heat is nearly unbearable, turning the car into an oven. You try to reverse to get away, but the steering wheel is too hot to touch. Then, the smell of gas floats softly to your nostrils. But the moment you recognize it, your fuel tank ignites. Welcome to Haunted Places, a ParCast original. I'm Greg Polson. Today's episode is part of our Urban Legends series. Every Tuesday, we explore those chilling stories you hear secondhand, the kind that seem made up, but contain a kernel of truth. 
Urban Legends is only on Spotify, so keep listening here to never miss an episode. But don't forget to come back each Thursday for a classic episode of Haunted Places, covering yet another ghost-filled locale. You can find episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. To stream Haunted Places for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. Today's urban legend comes from a local campfire tale. The forests surrounding Ojai, California are home to beautiful views and pristine nature. But they also hide a dark secret, a burn victim turned supernatural creature known as the Charman. Little is known about how he is summoned or why he chooses to target certain passers-by. But if you stand on Creek Road Bridge in the dead of night, you might see him. Or he might see you. Up next, we head into the woods to look for the mysterious Charman. Ojai, California is a strange place. Located just 90 minutes from Los Angeles, it's become a popular celebrity retreat over the years. But Ojai also clings desperately to its small-town roots, so much so that the city banned chain stores in 2007. However, the town is most well-known for its spirituality and wellness roots, as well as its picturesque natural surroundings. And it's those surroundings that supply the backdrop for a local legend that has frightened Californians and tourists for over 50 years. Born from the shared memory of past wildfires and a fear of those who are different, the so-called Charman is a serial killer urban legend with an incendiary twist. Billy was 12 when he'd learned what school was. He'd never been to one. He'd never really left his house. According to his dad, Peter, the world wasn't a place worth seeing. The only world that Billy had ever known was the one that surrounded them. Large clusters of trees reached up to touch the sky, and light blonde soil stuck to his toes when he ran barefoot through the forest. There, it was just him, the trees, and his family. Besides his dad, he had a mother and two brothers, Joseph and David. And in Billy's young mind, his family were the only people in the world. They lived in a small cabin his father had built. But Billy much preferred to venture out into the woods than sit at home. As he got bigger, he walked further and further, only turning back as the sun was getting low. It was on one of these trips where he met Sam. Sam had a big brown truck with green trees on it because he was a forest ranger. It seemed like a very good job for Billy once Sam explained it to him. But Sam told him he would have to go to school first. When Billy asked him what school was, Sam laughed for a moment. Then he realized Billy was serious. Sam told him that all children went to school, even though many didn't like it. Billy couldn't understand why they wouldn't. It sounded like the most interesting place imaginable. Later that night, after he came home, Billy asked his dad why they didn't go to school. They were certainly old enough. Peter told him there were more important things to learn, things the outside world had left behind. It was a good answer, Billy supposed, but he couldn't get the idea of school out of his head. For the next few months, Billy begged his father to let him go to school. His persistence made his dad angry, and more often than not, 
He took that anger out on Billy. But Billy didn't care. Not this time. He was tired of living his life his dad's way. He made a plan to sneak out in the middle of the night. Then he'd just walk into the woods until he found Sam again and could go to school on his own. Billy kissed the tops of his brother's heads as they slept. Then he waited for the house to go quiet. But his father never went still. Billy could hear him rolling about in bed, muttering. Billy told himself it would just be a little longer. Then he fell asleep. When he woke up, the air was crackling. It wasn't the right season to light the fireplace, but sometimes his mother got cold in the mornings. In his half-awake brain, he struggled to make sense of what he was seeing. It should have been easy for him to put it together. The crackling air, the red and orange glow, the sweat dripping down his face. Instead, he stood there blinking until he felt Joseph's small hand pushing at him. He turned toward his little brother and lost his breath. Part of Joseph's face had been burned away. His mouth gaped open in an ear-piercing scream as fire climbed up his flannel pajamas. Billy wrapped him in a blanket to smother the flames and scooped him up, holding him tight to his chest. He searched the room for David, but he didn't see him anywhere. Billy's throat was scratchy and dry as he screamed for his littlest brother. David had just learned to walk, and sometimes he wandered into the living room at night. So Billy yanked open the bedroom door and walked straight into hell. His father made them read the Bible every night. He knew what it meant when the sky rained ash and the smell of burning flesh permeated the air. His house had been turned into the infernal pits of damnation. Billy's mother emerged from the smoke like a specter crawling toward him. Large plumes of black smoke came out of her open mouth as she coughed and spasmed. He called out to her, but she couldn't hear him. Billy put Joseph down. He leaned down to his mother's level and shook her gently. She looked up at him with red-rimmed eyes and pulled him close. He told her they needed to go, but she asked about David. Where was her baby? Billy didn't have an answer. Her eyes widened in understanding. She rushed to her feet and ran for the bedroom. Billy didn't have time to stop her, to explain that it had been consumed by fire. Billy grabbed Joseph's hand. They made it two steps before they heard the crash. Billy said a silent prayer. He told Joseph to stay put and walk down the hallway. Half of the house had collapsed. Underneath the pile of smoldering wood, he saw his mother's legs sticking out at odd angles. He turned away from the scene, wiping at the tears burning his eyes. David and his mother were gone now. He still didn't know where his father was, but he didn't have time to search for him when Joseph was all alone. Billy sprinted back to his brother and lifted him into his arms again. He raced through the hallway. They would make it. They were so close to the door. He heard the creak above them. There wasn't time to say anything. He made the split-second decision to jump away, staggering against a burning wall. He screamed as the flames tore at his flesh, but he still tried to protect his brother from the heat. 
Billy was so tired. He wanted to stop to grieve. He wanted to pull his family's bodies from the wreckage. But there wasn't time enough. Their exit had been blocked. Joseph went still in his arms. The window was their only option. As Billy stepped toward it, fire rained down on them, coating them like strange, scalding water. He kept Joseph tucked against his chest and pushed through the window with his head. Glass and fire carved through his face, but he kept going. He had to. They were so close. His body hit the hard dirt on the other side. He had expected cool air, but all he saw was smoke. The fire had climbed the trees, exploding into dark black smoke and ash. Billy didn't have the energy to keep going. Every part of his body hurt. His lungs ached. He tried to pull himself up, but he couldn't. Joseph fell out of his grip, and then his vision went black. Billy woke up to the sound of high-pitched cries. Billy was relieved. The whole thing had been some terrible dream. He would open his eyes and his brothers would box his ears for sleeping so late. But when Billy did open his eyes, he found that he was crushing Joseph's small corpse under his bigger frame. Stinging tears hit Billy's cheeks. He'd fought so hard, and it meant nothing. He looked up for some sort of consolation. The house was gone. His father, Peter, was staggering around the smoldering clearing. Ash clung to his skin, but he seemed all right. Billy stood slowly and called out to him. It was more of a strained croak than a word, but he was glad he was able to make a sound at all. But his father only stared at him. At first, Billy assumed he didn't recognize him. He must have been covered in soot, too. His skin felt sore and wet and tight all at once. Each breath made everything sting. His father told him not to come any closer. He called him a monster. Billy was confused. Did his father know he was planning to run away? Was this some sort of punishment for his disobedience? Billy looked down at his hands. They were red and raw. The little bit that was left of his skin was stretched and torn, burned nearly beyond recognition. Was this his punishment? He'd tried to save Joseph, but where was his father? His dad was in the house when it had gone up, but he didn't have a scratch on him. Which meant, when the fires woke him, his father had time to make a decision. He had decided to abandon his family. Billy's dad had always told him that God punished those who deserved it, that God knew every sin, from forgotten prayers to impure thoughts. But Billy could think of no greater sin than this. His father was supposed to protect his family. He looked at his dad and his gaze hardened. Billy understood now. He wasn't the one who needed to be punished. Billy felt his hand slide to the ax on the woodpile beside him. His father watched in horror as he raised the blade. His father tried to run, and it was a struggle for Billy to move to catch up. But then, God tripped his father, because God wanted Billy to punish him. So that's what Billy did. He punished him for his brother's death and his mother's, for their isolation 
and Billy's own pain. Every adult had failed him. No one had come looking for him, and no one had asked him what he wanted or what would be best for him and Joseph and David. Billy took his time to bring the message home. He ignored his father's screams. They were no louder than the fire, no more pitiful than his mother's wails. When he finished, Billy stood back to admire his handiwork. If torn flesh made you a monster, his father's skin now matched his heart. He expected to feel relief, catharsis, but all he felt was hunger and pain. Violence had given him purpose. It made it hurt less, and it hurt so much. Billy cleaned the blade with a small cloth. Then he walked into the woods in search of Sam. Up next, we meet the Charman of Ojai. Now back to the story. Mira wouldn't have come if she knew what Cal was up to. She thought they were headed to Ojai for some hiking, maybe see a celebrity or two. She didn't realize they were trying to conjure a boogeyman. Every time she used the word conjure, Cal rolled his eyes. They weren't creating the Charman from thin air, he told her. He was a real guy, or had been a real guy who died in a forest fire sometime in the 60s. This did nothing to convince Mira. The idea of provoking some half-burned man, dead or alive, just didn't seem smart. They would essentially be luring a disfigured person out of the woods in order to mock them. It was cruel. Cal claimed that she wasn't giving the Charman enough agency. After all, he'd killed hundreds of curious kids. He could take care of himself. Cal leaned out the car window as they crossed the Creek Road Bridge. Charman, he called. Mira told him he was being a jerk. He didn't disagree. An uneasy beat passed between them. Mira asked if the Charman frequently killed people who called his name. Cal said yes, then realized what he just implied. They drove in silence the rest of the way to Camp Comfort. The name was fitting. It was a nice campground with plenty of flat land and a recreational clubhouse. Mira asked Cal to set up the camp stove and get to making turkey burgers while she tackled the tent on her own. She was working at her engineering degree. A tent was child's play to her. As he cooked, she teased him that at least they'd be meeting their death with full stomachs. The idea of dying hungry was just too sad. Cal's smile stretched over half of his face. Mira smiled back. She could do this for him, even though she thought it was stupid. They could talk through the ableism of the whole legend when they weren't going to have to spend several hours in the car afterward. Once the tent was set up and the air mattress was inflated, Mira set up some camping chairs. Then Cal served them a hearty meal of burgers, chips, and green beans. They watched the sunset together, neither of them feeling the need to pull out their phones and take a picture. The campground was beautiful, and Mira was grateful to get away from society for a little while. But Cal insisted they go back to Creek Road Bridge the next day to summon the Charman. For real this time. The idea made Mira shudder. Maybe, she thought, she could get Cal to forget the Charman idea entirely. But she couldn't forget it. She'd never been particularly suggestible, 
but sitting out in the woods in the dark made the story feel so much more plausible. As they climbed into the sleeping bags for the night, she asked Cal if he really believed in the monster or the person or whatever he was. Cal just chuckled and told her everything would be fine. She nuzzled into his arms and closed her eyes, letting his warm breath on her ear carry her to sleep. Mira woke up to the smell of fire. Small flecks of ash glittered through the nylon, backlit by soft light. Mira brought her hand to the wall of the tent and felt the heat emanating off it. She pushed against Cal to wake him, but he just made a small grumble and turned over. So she pushed him a little harder, but he still wouldn't rouse. She knew leaving the tent to investigate would be a bad idea. It was a campsite. Plenty of people had fires. But soon, the smell of burning plastic filled the air. Mira covered her nose with her t-shirt, looking for the source. Then, she saw it. One perfect handprint was burning a hole into the nylon door of their tent. The Charman had come to pay them a visit. Mira screamed. She knew she needed to run, but terror kept her in place. But then she felt Cal's arm against her and snapped into action. She jostled Cal and whipped out her pocket knife to carve the tent open on the other side. But it wasn't ripping fast enough. Behind her, she could feel the heat of the burning nylon flap as it fell away. She saw a flash of something red and mangled before she turned back to her side of the tent. She pulled Cal toward her, but he barely stirred. There was no time to find out. She tried desperately to cut them free as screams filled her ears. She wasn't sure if it was her or him or the horrible thing that was attacking them, but she kept her eyes focused on her blade. Mira sawed her knife faster against the material, and soon she'd created enough of a rip that she could start pulling. She tumbled through the small opening and turned back to pull Cal through. She let go of his hand in shock. Half of Cal's skin had been stripped away, along neat, almost perfect lines. What was left looked like the pattern of some horrifying stuffed animal. Mira tried to grab his hand again, but he wailed in pain as her fingers caught the exposed nerves where his skin used to be. She stumbled backwards into the dirt, and that's when she saw him. Looming over Cal was a monster that was more flame than man. It peeled the skin from his body like he was a ripe banana. Mira pulled away, mind racing, unsure if she should leave or fight or cry. Cal had returned to screaming. She couldn't imagine any sound worse. But then he stopped, leaving just the crackle of flames. Only in that strange half-silence did she realize that the entire campsite was on fire. Mira got to her feet and sprinted into the woods. Smoke seeped through the thin t-shirt she'd pulled over her face, and the underbrush cut up her feet, but she couldn't stop. The screams died out as she ran. When she finally reached the highway, it was empty. She was alone. Mira stumbled to a stop. She pulled her t-shirt down from over her mouth and sucked in the crisp night air. The tears started to come as the reality of Cal's death hit her like a freight train. She moaned, she cried, 
Her breath came in shallow gasps. She wheeled around, searching for help. Then she saw the campground and froze. There was no blazing inferno. There was no light at all. How could it have disappeared so quickly? Mira wheeled around, trying to get her bearings. She was on some sort of two-lane bridge, the woods stretching out before her. Then, the air around her changed. The scent of fresh tree growth was replaced by stale smoke. Mira pulled her t-shirt back up over her nose. When she turned, her heart nearly stopped. A figure stood not ten feet from her in the moonlight. His long form nearly glittered with gore. Deep burn scars ran across the pieces of him that were still intact like pulsing veins. Then, he ignited in front of her eyes. He was something out of a fever dream, but all too real. A man made of flame. Fire had been such a comfort for every single festival of her childhood, for Shiva and Rama and Ganesh. How cruel for it to appear this way now. She had no phone or shoes. Cal was dead, and no car was speeding down the highway to save her. She could try to run away from her fate, or she could face it head on. If she had to die, she wanted to be the one deciding to burn. Mira asked the gods to forgive her for Cal's death. Then, she ran toward the Charman. The heat was searing as she got closer, like the largest bonfire she'd ever seen. Still, she urged herself forward. But when she reached the very edge of the crackling flame, he vanished. She was alone on the bridge. The night was still and quiet. The only hint he'd been there at all was the scent of seared flesh still lingering in the air. The most often told origin story for the Charman centers on a fire that nearly consumed all of Ojai in 1948. The rumor goes that at the time, a homesteader lived in the surrounding woods with his son when the blaze trapped the two of them, leaving the son horribly burned. And soon, traumatized and alone, the boy had a psychotic break. When the authorities managed to reach the charred house, they discovered the homesteader had been flayed alive. However, there is more than one possible origin story for the legend of Charman. Another version of the tale says he was a firefighter killed in the line of duty, and yet another claims he was a motorist whose vehicle caught fire after an accident on Creek Road. Local thrill-seekers have been known to park on the road's bridge, or even in the forest, and chant his name. When he appears, sometimes he wields an axe, searching for someone to skin in order to repair his own. But each time he shows up, He's always accompanied by the smell of flame and rot. The fact is, there have been a number of fires in the area, and there have been many deaths. Who are we to say it wasn't the Charman? So, if you do venture down Creek Road, keep your wits about you. And if you smell fire, run.
Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Haunted Places, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Haunted Places on Spotify, just open the app and type Haunted Places in the search bar. Until next time, don't believe some of the things you hear. Believe all of them. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Rache, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. I'm Greg Polson.